Our society has a strange obsession with serial killers. Jack the Ripper, Jeffrey Dahmer, Son of Sam, Ted Bundy, the Zodiac Killer, all of them capture the attention of the public. Even popular culture has its share of fictional serial killers, like Dexter Morgan, Patrick Bateman, and of course, Hannibal Lecter. People often cite their fascination with serial killers as a guilty pleasure. Stories of serial killers are monster stories for grown-ups. Maybe because we would never dream of doing the horrible things that those killers did. At least, we hope. This episode is an exploration into the serial killer with the most victims of all time. Now, that excludes dictators who ordered the deaths of millions or soldiers who pulled the trigger on large-scale attacks. A serial killer has to kill each victim individually by themselves. The man who holds the horrific title of the most successful serial killer of all time is Christman Janipertinga, a German highway robber who killed 964 people. This is the first episode of Historium that I would probably call not safe for work. The gruesome details are not for young children or for the faint of heart. Consider yourself warned. I'm Jake Barton. Welcome to Historium. Episode 11. Almost a thousand. Germany in the 16th century was experiencing something of a renaissance. The Reformation had freed churches from the traditional power structures of the Roman Catholic Church, while the printing press flooded towns with pamphlets and literacy spread like wildfire. The old Holy Roman Empire was splintered into many competitive city-states where Germany is today. Things were looking up. Each generation's quality of life was becoming better than the last. But it was still a dangerous world if you left the walls of a populated area. The roads between towns were perhaps the most dangerous. Highwaymen, also known as outlaws or brigands or bandits, knew that groups traveling with a wagon or carriage had to take a road. Essentially, these men or groups of men would utilize these roads as choke points to harass travelers. Highwaymen would often simply stand in the road and refuse to move unless the travelers would pay the amount they asked for. Travelers would often hire guards to prevent highwaymen from attempting to coerce money from them. They figured it would be cheaper to just hire help than potentially lose all their money or their life on the road. Most of these highwaymen were incredibly dangerous. Christman Janipertinga, whose name I may be saying wrong, but I don't care because he's a terrible person, was one such highwayman. Most robbers would constantly be on the move, trying to avoid the law that would inevitably come when too many people were robbed in a certain location. Janipertinga was different. He resided in a cave near an intersection where several roads met in a wooded upland area locally known as Frostburg. From his lair, he had a good view of each of the four roads that led to different towns. Janipertinga took his first victim in 1568. He killed him on the road and dragged him back to his lair, an abandoned mineshaft with hundreds of corridors and rooms. He looted the body and threw the naked corpse down an abandoned vertical mineshaft. He then returned to the road, where he kicked dirt over the blood. Over the next few years, he returned to the road to claim more and more victims. He used a variety of strategies to kill people on the road. Sometimes he would claim to be hurt, 
and would kill anyone who was cursed with a big enough heart to approach him. Other times, he would simply kill them outright on the road, using a sword or a primitive firearm. Each time, he would drag them back to his lair and throw them into the pit. He would take every possession of his victims and store it in one of his many chambers. He recorded every item collected and every person killed in his journal. By this point, people knew that travelers often went missing around that area and began hiring more and more guards to protect themselves when they traveled. Still, many never reached their destination. Parties of up to five armed men were never seen again. Sometimes, Junipertinga would recruit other bandits or outlaws to help him take down bigger parties. After they succeeded, Crispin poisoned their wine, and when they died, he threw them in the pit as well. Sometime after his victim count had reached the triple digits, Crispin saw another intended victim, but was struck by her beauty. This pretty young woman was the daughter of a cooper in a nearby town. She was traveling to meet her brother in another village. Crispin decided to take her into his lair alive. He dragged her kicking and screaming into his chamber and raped her. He told her she could keep her life if she would serve his sexual wants. Apparently, she agreed. For the next seven years, the woman served as a sex slave for the mass murderer. As she remained chained in her room, he would bring in corpses, strip them, and throw them down the mine shaft into the now almost overflowing mountain of corpses. It's hard to imagine the horrors this poor woman went through. During those seven years, she bore Christmas six children. Each time a child was born, he would murder them in front of her. He would then hang them from the ceiling of her nightmarish prison. Every time he would enter her chamber, he would push each of the little hanging skeletal corpses, rocking them back and forth, saying, Dance, my children, dance. Father is making you dance for him. Eventually, after repeated pleadings from his captive to go get fresh materials from a local village, he relented. Jinnipertinga thought it might be nice to have some new spices. He let her go on one condition. He made her swear an oath not to betray him or give away his position. She agreed. She left Christman's lair and headed to the nearest village of Bergkessel. When she reached the town, she didn't immediately run or tell the authorities. Call it Stockholm Syndrome or fear that he had followed her, but the woman actually intended to keep her promise upon entering the village gates. She went to the market, where she probably received strange looks as she shrugged off anyone who tried to talk to her. In the middle of the street, several children were dancing. They looked eerily like her dead children that Jinnipertinga tied up in her chamber back in his lair. As the children continued to dance, her captor's words echoed in her mind, Dance, my children, dance. Father is making you dance for him. She collapsed in the street. Townsfolk rushed to her aid, asking what was the matter. She mentioned unspeakable horrors, but that she was under oath to never tell. The townsfolk took her to the church, where wide-eyed priests begged her to tell them what was affecting her so deeply. After a few hours of women from the town consoling her, and priests assuring her there would be no divine punishment for breaking an oath that was so clearly detrimental to her, she revealed everything. 
she was immediately brought before the mayor of the town, where she repeated the horrific details of her past seven years of being a sex slave for this mass murderer. The mayor began to connect the dots. He now knew the cause of all of the disappearances on the road, and more importantly, where the man responsible was located. The mayor of Birdkessel quickly rallied every able-bodied man he could. He and the leaders of the town devised a plan. The woman would return to the lair, but with her, she would take a sack of peas. Once she left the road, she would drop a pea every few steps, and the militiamen would follow them to Tinga's hideout. The woman reluctantly agreed to the plan and set off back to hell. Dropping peas along her way, she finally arrived at Christman's lair. She took a deep breath and entered. He immediately chained her up again and demanded that she delouse his hair. Meanwhile, 30 heavily armed and armored men entered the labyrinth. The woman had told them the location of various booby traps designed to keep out any unwanted visitors. Carefully avoiding the various traps, the men entered Christman's living quarters. He heard the men approaching and jumped up from his sex slave delousing his hair. He heard the footsteps of dozens of men in his hideout. The killer turned to his captive, his eyes wild with rage. She screamed as Crispin ran at her. The men heard the scream and bursted in just as Janipertinga was reaching her. The men pulled him back and pinned him to a wall. He glared at who used to be his captive and yelled, You faithless whore, if I would have known I would have strangled you long ago. But she barely heard him, for she was free at last. Once Janipertinga was subdued, the men began searching through the many chambers of his lair. Within, they found whole rooms filled with trade goods, rooms with hundreds of weapons and firearms lining the walls, rooms with dozens of full suits of armor, rooms containing piles and piles of gold and valuables, and of course the mineshaft with thousands upon thousands of bones from the hundreds of missing travelers. In Christman's personal quarters, they found his journal, which tallied every item of loot and explained every murder he ever committed in gruesome detail. The group of men returned to Birdcastle, and with difficulty brought Tinga back alive. He was tried in court that day, May 27, 1581. In court, Crispin confessed to the killings of the 964 individuals, stating that he was upset that he didn't reach his goal, upset that it was almost a thousand victims. Once found guilty, the murderer was put on the breaking wheel, a medieval torture device used to spread the victim out so that others could break the bones of their arms and legs. All of Tinga's bones were broken quickly, but he remained on the breaking wheel for nine entire days with the help of strong alcohol used to keep him alive. This is the longest recorded time that someone has survived on a breaking wheel. I'm sure many people had begun to pity him in those nine long days, only to be reminded of his crimes and their pity replaced with anger. We don't know the fate of the woman he held prisoner for all those years. The records never even mention her by name, despite her intricate role in the monster's demise. However, I'd like to imagine that she returned home to her father, 
who tearfully embraced her after those seven long years, and her physical and emotional scars could begin to heal. At least, one can hope. We don't know if the monster in Christman Jinnipertinga can be attributed to a bad childhood, a lack of empathy, or simply pure evil. But we know that he was the most successful, if you want to call it that, serial killer of all time. Human beings are capable of great good and terrible evil. This monster sheds light on the latter part of that statement. Most historical figures can be painted in many different shades of gray, but not this man. Christman Junipertinga, whose first name ironically means Man of Christ, shows us that some men are horrific monsters, and that our strange fascination with men like him stems from the fear that every one of us has the potential to be one too. Historium is a history podcast with new episodes coming out every other Wednesday. If you like what you heard here, rate the show on iTunes. That's the best way for the podcast to gain new listeners. Additionally, you can like Historium on Facebook, and now Historium is on Twitter. If you like historical photos with 140-character commentaries, go ahead and follow us on Twitter. That is at underscore Historium. As always, thanks for listening.